So we found out where they're built, Jacksonville, Florida. Tony and I booked a flight. We went down and just started poking around and looking at what they had down there. Um, we find out that Huckins builds uh, these beautiful old wooden boats. Really, they, they, I think the company started in the 1930s or something like that. They had uh, the largest contract to build the PT boats for World War II. Um, those evolved into these cruising yachts of the 1960s that are just so fabulous. And there's uh, several of them that have been restored and really kept up over the years. So our first, um, the first boat that we saw down there that we really love, it had two little bunk beds for the kids. It was a 40-foot wooden um, hole, mahogany hole that was glassed over. So very safe, very well cared for, well maintained. Um, we looked at this boat and we had that moment again. And Tony looks at me and says, what do you think? And I said, we cannot not do this. We have to do this. We have to buy this boat and we're going to move on to it with the kids. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, I'm your host, and I'm here with Coach Beege and a very dear friend of ours, Lynn Ray. Lynn, gosh, we've known Lynn since I was back in my event planning days and BJ was khaki pants and polo shirt guy working in the marketing department. And Lynn was our graphic designer. We used to babysit for her daughter and um, and your daughter is now well into her 20s. It was the late 1900s. I'll <laughs> just say that. That's how, long That's how long we've known each other. I love that. <laughs> And why are we here at Lynn's house? Lynn is, oh my God, she's an incredible inspiration. We really, BJ felt very passionate about when we found out we were going back east that we needed to get Lynn on the show because, um, well, you guys are going to find out. I'm, I'm not going to tell you too much other than the fact that this is a family of adventures and Lynn is homeschooling her children. They have been She's been doing this since 2014, and I'm sitting here looking at their locations of study from 2014 till 2019, and you guys, I mean, just name it, Barcelona, Valencia, uh, Mallorca, uh, San Francisco, Portugal, Italy, Key West, Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach, I mean, all of these places all over the world that these, these children have grown up around, um, such a rich, rich life, and not just for the kids, though, Lynn, but for you and your husband, Tony, so stop talking, Jess. Welcome to the show, Lynn. We're psyched to have you here. Thank you so much. This is such an honor, really. I love you guys. So I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be here and to share any or impart any part of our story that, that may uh, inspire other adventures in, in anyone. So... Well, I think it's important to kind of go to the foundation of why you're like this traveling family and you're living on a boat part of the year and you're living here in Newport, Rhode Island part of the year. And so what what started this whole lifestyle mm. of travel for you? There's probably a much more deep-rooted answer to that question of why, why our lives are like this. However... My husband, Tony, is a professional sailor, and so he travels around the world 
constantly and for different races, for different programs. And so a lot of our family travel, our homeschooling travel is based around his or loosely based around his work travel. So um, the trips to New Zealand, living in Spain, um, going to the... Uh, going to Istanbul, that all of these were related to his, his work travel. So it uh, gives us that, that sort of basis or that foundation for deciding where we are going to go within a certain year. Um, how Tony and I became the travelers that we do. I mean, I, he, he loves it. I love it. We're, we're so happy together and we're good travelers together. And we've raised three children who, who kind of don't know another way. So, um, you know, we, we're all, uh, we're all happy to do it. So at the beginning, were you here in Newport and he's traveling all over the place? And I mean, you guys, you're so funny. We were just talking in the hallway. You're very much like BJ and I, like you like to be together yeah, and right, close right. together. <laughs> Tony's not supposed to have an office that's two miles down the road. He needs to be at home. But you, you, you guys love each other. I can't even imagine the stress of that. Um, so yeah. th was this pre-children, post-children? So when Tony and I were first married in 2000, it, it, I had Sydney. We had a, I had a child when we first got married. So the three of us traveled. We spent uh, two of her school years living in New Zealand when Tony was racing for an America's Cup. And that was an incredible experience. She was... Uh, an uh, only child at the time and on a private school track, but to take her out of school for a, an entire school year to go to school in another country was incredible. And we found that, a, a, we found a very curious thing happened. The actual academics of that school year were a great deal less than what she was experiencing uh, here in town. But when she came back, she was twice the student. Hands down, her grades all went up. Her confidence was up. You know, she just had, uh, she walked with a, a bit of swagger. And, and I mean that in a very positive, good way. You know, she still was the same charming, sweet child, but she had something sort of ineffable. You know, there was an, a quality that she acquired that we could not attribute to, to education. How old was she at this time? She was uh, eight the first time. She, she, we went over for fourth grade and seventh grade. So, so this was really your first introduction? Yes. To I, I got my passport. Sydney and I ha got our first passports together. <laughs> <laughs> I did. So it's not like you so, can't. You, I didn't come. I grew up in Indiana. I did not come from a traveling life. So. You know, and that was really brave to take her out yeah. of private school, right? right? right. I'm sure right. people had some stuff to say about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then put her into a school in a totally different country. Yeah. Trust, right? And we know this from mindfulness, right. right? Right. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about that. Yeah. Trust, and then have her come out as you know, right. so expanded and right. so transformed right. and a better student, right. For it, yeah. because you took a risk, right? So that laid the groundwork for future travel, especially when Sophia and Oliver were born. We had no reservations about traveling because we knew that there's so much good to come from seeing more of the world. Um, we had talked about a little bit more about 
before the podcast started about how we came, you know, how we came to make, make these big decisions. And we have, Tony and I have two sort of criteria. One is we called, I guess, the, our pyramid theory, which is if, if, you know, our family structure is a pyramid with a flat, stable bottom, that Tony and I ha- have to be the top of that pyramid. We have to be strong at the tippy top, and what works for us and for our marriage and for our relationship will absolutely work for the rest of the family. That We are, as a family unit, stronger when, when the priority is on, on, on us at the top. So that's how we decide if um, we're going to do a big trip or not. Is it best for us? Not is it best for the kids. Our relationship is the most important thing in this family, and the kids will follow. You know? That's amazing. That's, that that's is profound. <laughs> and I, I think I was, I was talking about this with my parents this week, which mm. I haven't um, seen them in a while, but it's that relationship of your parents. And I always say Jess and I are super lucky because our parents are together and they're strong together. And then you look at Jess and me, and we turned out okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're crushing it. But that's, that's, right. that's really profound. I love it. Like it stopped I, me in my track. I've never, I've never heard anybody describe I, that. Just stopped me in my tracks. I love that. I think it's so important because the kids are going to feed off that. They're going to feed off that 100%. Well, it comes up again and again. It's not a, it's not a, a, a singular you know, occurrence. It didn't happen just when It happens often, even with, our, uh, with, with homeschooling. We will, you know, there are, boy, there are challenges and, and doubts, and we wonder if we're doing the right thing for the kids. And Tony and I will stop, and we will spend time together and just say, are we doing the right thing for us? Well, then it's the right thing for the kids because, you know, it, it has to be. Yeah. They're going to follow. Yeah, they're going to follow. And you're so, leading yeah. by example. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. So what I'm, I'm looking at this now, the, our red light. Yeah. Green. Cause you've we got some other uh, systems. Yeah, yeah, we have place. another system. It's called the red light, green light system. <laughs> I don't know how we came up. I don't even remember how we came up for it. If it, it, it with it, if, or if it just evolved, um, but we, but it is tried and true. We have a red light, green light system of, we'll come up with an idea for a trip. Like Tony will have a race somewhere and I'll think, well, we will come and then we'll do this and we'll stay here. And then Tony will say, great, let's, let's throw that out there. We sort of throw it out to the universe. We'll make a couple of phone calls, send a couple of emails, see if, um, housing will work out if, if it turns out, gosh, our passports are expired or we can't find any place to stay in that area that we can afford or there's no flights, all of a sudden you hit these sort of red lights and, you know, one or two, not a big deal. Maybe we just have to be creative or innovative about how we're going to do something. But typically if something's, if the universe isn't laying out a path for you to do something, there's a reason. And so we'll just, both of us will look at each other and say, you know what, we've hit too many red lights. Let's just sit back for a second and see what happens. And sure enough, within a short amount of time, a completely different trip will come up 
uh, one like our our trip to Istanbul that just sort of laid out, you know, a client of Tony's invited us to be his guest uh, on a trip to Istanbul. It was educationally oriented. We had a guide that he arranged for us every single morning. We woke us up, picked us up at our hotel and said, okay, I know you're homeschooling. We're going to um, take, we're going to tour Istanbul for a week. And every day we're still going in chronological order. We're starting with the oldest part of Istanbul. And then we're going to work our way up to the newer parts. So we went to the Blue Mosque. We went to Tapkapi Palace. We went to every, all the big incredible places. Um, the Hagia Sophia, we went everywhere. And then we studied those things. We came home and the kids wrote reports and we studied the places that we had been to. We never could have planned that trip. Never, 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 never could we have planned that trip. But it just fell into place. We were already over in Europe. It was easy. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, it's it's absolutely. (laughs) So has it always been that way though? Like how, I think a lot of people want the plan. They want the certainty of these, we booked the flights, we're going to go there. Things fall out of alignment and they feel wronged and they feel, and they can go the other direction. They go in the direction of, well, you know, I guess nothing's going to work out and I guess we're not supposed to go on this trip and, and they dwell in that. Has it always been in your toolbox, I guess, that you've been shifting your perspective, you and Tony, to be like, okay, now we're now we're looking at this as an opportunity. What else can happen? You mean the fact that we are, I mean, we're always open to change and opportunity, always, because I think that um, it's, it's really important to kind of go with the flow of what your life path is, is to be open for what comes, right? And sometimes you have an idea, like, we're going to do this thing, and it just does not work. And you have to be able to be aware of when to pull back and say, you know, we are not going to force this because this is definitely not meant to be. And we don't, and something else will come up, and it will be better. Mm -hmm. And it happened, it's happened to us so many times that I can't... It's the norm now. It's the norm. And you just shift So now the kids... Even Sydney planning her trip to to London in the fall. She's like, I'm it's, I'm in a red light green light zone, Mom. I'm looking for the signs that this is right or not. And believe me, she tried to make some trips happen, and we have we have laughed so hard over how she was bound so and determined. Yep. She was going to do this trip and all of the things went wrong every single day, including, uh, oh no, I can't say it, but anyway, just bad, <laughs> bad. <laughs> how, how can That's you, her story to tell. Oh, we should get, Sydney, Sydney are you in the house? How this is this is you may not be able to to gauge this, but how have you been able to discern between what is a brick wall that you need to work your way around, a challenge you need to work your way around, and a and a and a brick wall that's there that's giving you the sign like step back, maybe there's another opportunity. Have you been able to maybe see that from an outside perspective I, I through experience? I wanna say it's almost like a feeling, like you feel it. You know, I don't know. There's not like, okay, if we hit four no's, it's going to be, you know, I don't think we do it that. It's definitely a feeling like this just doesn't feel right. And usually I think the two of us are in tune enough with 
ourselves and and the universe in some way that we can say, you know what, I'm at this, we've, we've yeah. We have tried to make a trip. We want to go and visit our family in Indiana. We have planned it three different times this summer, and it's fallen through all three times. So I keep, unfortunately... It's like you I've, can get to Istanbul with a private yeah, guide. No, I cannot get to... <laughs> no, but you can't get to Indiana. This is the way it works, right? It is. It does, because the, world the universe care. does not make sense on paper. It does not. And a lot of times what you're really need to be doing does not feel convenient yeah. but every, but when you step back and you say okay I feel this so strongly I'm gonna trust it which is I think a lot of times where people will stop because it's like how do I know if Scary. I'm supposed to how do I you know how do I know how do I know and the thing is I love that question PJ because I was thinking the same thing but it's so funny because the answer is not the answer that anybody wants to hear it's very different every single time and it's really attuning yourself to that internal compass. Yeah. And there's always something to learn. And our experience, very similar to yours, is when you just say, yeah, no, I'm hitting this like massive brick wall. This is, I'm trying to make something happen here. And anytime we've felt that, we're like, let's go take a walk to the beach. Let's go get a coffee. Let's go get a smoothie. Let's do something. Let's just take a, a break. Yeah. And you come back and it's like, Oh, this is even better. This is even better. And so once you do it once, you build the trust. And then it's just like changing your the neural pathways in your brain, which I'm sure that that was a part of this this whole experience that is now your life. It becomes your norm. You know that your 20 lane highway can be trust and um hearing your intuition and putting your relationship first and all of these things that go against the grain and they don't make sense on paper, but you do it once, you'll do it again right. and again right. and That's again. Right. So Oliver and Sophie came along and were you still kind of here and Tony's still traveling? Like when did now the whole clan, because now at some point you move on to a boat. It's right. not just going and staying at the Marriott. Like you're living on a boat now. Yeah, so... Okay, so we were in New Zealand for our second America's Cup, which ended in 2003. And I had fallen off of a horse and had a really bad horseback riding accident. And we had to stay extra long there, longer than most people, because I couldn't travel until I healed uh, well enough to travel and then came back to the States to have um, corrective surgery to, to fix everything that I broke. It was a pretty horrific thing. Anyway, that same spring, 2003, we became pregnant with Sophia. So she was born December 2003, and Oliver was born in October of 2005. So those two years, it was, uh, it was a whole surgery healing from that accident, having two babies, was a bit of a whirlwind. When Oliver was about nine months old, we moved to Spain for a year plus. And um, that was a phone call that came up in probably July of 2006. And Tony was offered a position on the Spanish America's Cup team that was in Valencia. And 
we have a brand new baby and we just kind of had this whirlwind couple It doesn't couple seem of very convenient. It doesn't. And on paper, you know, I'm not really sense. sure. Yeah. And it was also, Sydney was a junior in high school and anyone, especially in America, knows that your junior year of high school is critical for your getting into college and those were kind of important, an important school year. So we kind of looked at each other and again, the pyramid theory this is the best thing for us. We want to go and do this America's Cup. I want to live in Spain for a year. Okay, we have a brand new baby, and one, the other one, Sophia, got travel sickness everywhere she went. My God. <laughs> it was like traveling with a baby vomit comet. You couldn't, <laughs> couldn't take her anywhere. And then Sydney, who is a, a bit, you know, she's 17. So we... Packed up the car. With Sydney. How was Sydney with this? I don't remember. I've known Sydney. Because I had two little babies. Yeah, you were like, Sydney, (laughs) take care of yourself. Pack the car. Fill the tank. Let's go. We're going to Valencia. I have had some conversations with Sydney about this recently. Like, She's an old soul, though. I've known Sydney since she was a little girl. and She really is. She's amazing. We packed up the car. And I never forget, we were living uh, in Portsmouth. And we had... 13 pieces of luggage and two babies and a teenager with her headphones on looking out the window. And we were driving to Logan Airport and Tony looked at me and said, okay, is this the stupidest thing we've ever done? And I looked at him and said, yes, let's go. You know, like, sitting at the top of the pyramid. And we are like, charge it. Come on, bring it. You know, and it, it and it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, the the talk about green lights. I mean, the the we Tony and I took Oliver over. Just the three of us went in advance of of moving there to look for an apartment. And uh, I couldn't leave Oliver at home uh, because I was still nursing. He couldn't. He I had to. I think I left the girls with my mother, but he came with us to Spain for a couple of weeks and we were apartment hunting and we got the name of a couple who through some other friends who might have a house that they were going to rent. So we go and I find this address and it's uh, just Oliver and I and Tony met us at this house and Valencia is all apartments. It doesn't have houses, but there was this one little street Actually, there were two little streets, but this was one of the two little streets in what maybe had 10 houses on each street um, on either side of the road. And we pull up to meet this family or walk up to meet this family. And there's like 20 Spanish, you know, from grandparents to the parents who are our age and little kids. And I'm going, oh, my God, what what is this? And it turns out that the couple who owns this beautiful, it was like a brownstone house in Spain. Um, She graduated from Harvard and her husband graduated from Princeton and they wanted to take a year to come to the States. So they sort of said, hey, you take our house. We will go to the States. This will work out perfect. The whole family kind of uh, had to come and meet us. It was sort of a, a vetting process on their side, I think. And what all of a sudden I, I was feeling kind of like, well, this is pretty amazing, but um, 
we should probably go because I need to change Oliver's diaper. And someone said, I've got it, scoops him up, takes him down the street. And I'm going, Tony, someone just walked away with our baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm just starting to sweat. Like I'm in this foreign country and I really don't speak the language um, at all at the time. I learned Spanish very quickly. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, they, as like, in, where is my say, baby? Give me my baby back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And, uh, anyway, about 10 minutes later, Oliver comes back as happy as can be with a fresh diaper. And I thought, you know what? We're, this is good. This yeah, is, this is a green so light situation. Good. This is a green light situation. That family her, um, the woman who graduated from Harvard, um, she's a landscape designer, rather well-known landscape designer in Europe. And her college roommate was Lisa Lewis. Do you know Lisa Mm-mm. Lewis in Newport? She runs the, um, she married to Bart Dunbar and she oh, yeah, runs I know that name. the, yeah. um, the farmer's market, like started oh. all the farmer's markets oh my gosh. in the Newport, like, and you know, like, Green light, green light, green light. Everything was, you know, how can we do this? Oh, here it is, you know. But it all started mm-hmm. with that packing of the suitcases, is sitting in the car, the questioning yeah, right. whether this is the stupidest thing, yet yeah. seeing all that, yet yeah. still moving forward, still yeah. going despite yeah. those signs. Yeah. And so that's where I feel, yeah. back to my earlier question, like that was a moment where, yeah, the signs were there and it was saying like, well, this is a little bit kind of out of the norm. And you proceeded anyway and this is what it presents you opportunity connection community the ideal situation so you were in Spain for how long it was a little over a year and um we did a lot of traveling with the kids around you know went to Denmark and France and we we traveled a lot with the kids during that time and that was just fantastic so Sydney, we, Sydney still got into the college of her choice, <laughs> and she's about, go to, and her, she's about to go to grad she's school, about to go in to grad school in London. Yeah, right. she's doing, she's just, doing fine. just fine. Nobody worry about Sydney; she's yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> we think she's in the house, but we actually don't know we where don't she know. is. We don't know. She could be on the side of the road. No, she's fine. Um, so, did did Sydney go to school, or did you homeschool no, her? No, I did not. She went to school. We enrolled her in the American school. Um, in of Valencia, which is 85% Spanish. A lot of Spanish families send their kids there because they want them to learn English. But because it was such a strong uh, Spanish uh, group of students that she did very well in her Spanish there as well. So it was a, it was a good choice. Yeah, of course. Of course yeah. it was. You don't start homeschooling until 2014. So the, right. This is, still, this is still 2007 when we got back. We came home and immediately knew we had to make some changes. We were living out in Portsmouth where we drove everywhere. And the first thing we did was put our house on the market. And I said, I'm not, I, uh, we're, we're way too far. I want to live downtown. I want to live where we're going to walk places and we need a lifestyle change because that was so amazing to live in, in Europe and to walk everywhere every single day for your groceries, to get to school, to do anything that you do. And um, we loved that. So we put our house on the market. We uh, bought the house that we're in right now, renovated, moved in. The kids went to a beautiful school right up the road for a few years, but still something wasn't quite right. And for 
Tony and I, I think that was, he was traveling so much. Now we had Sydney in college and two kids um, that were growing up so fast. And we sat one, we'd gone to New York um, for kind of a long weekend with the kids. And we were talking to our Aunt Nikki there and talking about who travels a lot. And Tony said, you know, I feel like pretty soon Sophia's going to be 14 years old and she's not going to know who I am because I'm just, he's, he's gone so much. And Tony and I decided that it wasn't our plan to, for me to stay home and raise the kids and for him to travel so much. And, you know, we were trying to fit in trips with him when we could. And, but it was always a struggle because we were balancing the school schedule. I was working, I was volunteering, the, you know, the kids had sports, they had extracurricular activities, friends, birthday parties. I mean, we were just, our, we had three calendars that we had to um, kind of cross-reference if we wanted to do anything. Tony's work and travel calendar, the school calendar, and my work and volunteering calendar. And it got to a point where you, we, we were connecting with each other over calendar. We'd have to schedule time to, to, ha- to get together. And I don't think that that's very uncommon, though, mm. but you were not liking the way it was sitting. No. We yeah. were logi- I wouldn't either. We oh. were just logistics. That's all we were doing. We were going we were through the motions. Going through the motions. Which is 100% not the reason why we're here. Mm-hmm. We're not here to go through the motions. We're not. And we lost sight of that pyramid. We all have. Yeah. We all have. Yeah, so you're like, where's that pyramid? Get it back out. Yeah. I'm getting on yeah. the pointy end. So we right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we are the top of the pyramid. <laughs> Damn it. Get it back. So we said, you know what? We're gonna try something. And the the traveling that we did with Sydney in the past and with the kids when we were in Spain was so incredible. It was so great for us, for our marriage, for our lives, our family. Like we were a stronger family unit doing living that way. So we, um, so Tony said, I'll, let, I'll um, I think we should get a boat. All right. I grew up in Indiana. I do not do boats. I don't do any kind of boats. Like I'm looking at him like, yeah, that's not good. You knew it was bound to happen. You marry a sailor. Okay. And but you're that- in Newport, Rhode Island. <laughs> of all places. Right. Okay. All green lights. But that green was lights. not our relationship. I had my art friends and my art life and painting and, uh, you know, I, Tony raced and then he loved coming home and not feeling like he had to go to a sailing party. You know, we had, that was our balance. This was gonna, this was not part of the deal. I was never, I never signed up for a life on the water. And so he, Tony said, okay, it's Newport in summer. Let's just go out on a couple boats and see. We'll get a boat. We looked at some sailboats in Newport Heart, we would go out on them and it would be going like two knots, three knots. And I'm white knuckled on the edge. Like we're tilting, put it, stop. Like I want off. I want off so badly. I, it, it just, what was, was the pull? What, what was, what's going through? Like, is it, have, do you swim? Do you, are you comfortable in the water? Yeah. Yeah. But not really on it. You know, I, I don't know the, the, uh, feeling out of control and the wind, you know, and with no brakes really, I don't know. I don't know how they work. I I just think it was a comfort issue. And I was always 
careful to not show the kids I was really afraid on the water on a sailboat because I didn't want them to to inherit that. To take on me, your to take yeah. on my fear, mm-hmm. right? I can't really. I think it just was a comfort issue. Tony grew up, literally grew up sailing and on the water, so that's second nature to him. And simultaneously, I knew that the kids and I needed a relationship to the water. That that was important for our family. How could this be Tony's entire livelihood and we don't have a relationship to the water? And so we talked about, well, we could join a yacht club, but that doesn't really give us a relationship to the water. And so we had a lot of conversations. How do we fix this? And the kids are still young. And we were in Newport Harbor and we saw a a type of boat on the harbor, a powerboat. And they're, they're... really cool 1950s, 1960s style wood powerboats. There's maybe four of them in Newport Harbor, four or five of them. Right now there are even. And we kept, we'd circle around it and we had a little friend's powerboat. We'd, you know, I'm good at the cocktail cruise. Don't get me wrong. Like I can do a powerboat and a cocktail cruise. Like I'm, I'm awesome with that. Wine, cheese and crackers. Like that's good. That's right up my alley. So I said, Tony, I kind of like that. Like I could do that. I could plug in my crockpot in that powerboat, and I would be—I'd be so uh, you know—I'd—I'd I'd be set. Was there some sort of design element to these boats too, like the, the really yeah, cool looking that caught your the, eye? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the aesthetic was really cool, and Tony loves them also. So we found out where they're built, Jacksonville, Florida. Tony and I booked a flight. We went down. And just started poking around and looking at what they had down there. Um, we find out that Huckins builds uh, these beautiful old wooden boats. Really, they, they, I think the company started in the 1930s or something like that. They had uh, the largest contract to build the PT boats for World War II. Um, those evolved into these cruising yachts of the 1960s that are just so fabulous. And there's uh, several of them that have been restored and really kept up over the years. So our first, um, the first boat that we saw down there that we really love, it had two little bunk beds for the kids. It was a 40 foot wooden um, mahogany hole that was glassed over. So very safe, very well cared for, well maintained. Um, We looked at this boat and we had that moment again, and Tony looks at me and says, what do you think? And I said, we cannot not do this. We have to do this. We have to buy this boat, and we're going to move on to it with the kids. And we're definitely, and I'm, I'm okay, I'm thinking we're going to do it for like a month or so, and then we're going to bring the boat up to Newport, and we're going to have a cocktail cruise, because I'm really good at the cocktail cruise, Right. <laughs> I had no further aspirations. I had. I just thought we'll we'll spend some time on the boat. Kids will get comfortable. You didn't really know you were going to be living, like truly living no. on the boat at this point. No, no. I you know, I'd spend the night or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was, go to shore and then yeah, lock. go check into a hotel or something. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really think it through. Really, there is actually a lot of this whole thing here that Tony and I have done that we haven't thought through really well. I think all. that that's why it's so beautiful. 
because you're not because you get stuck in the mind, right? The mind is a record of the past. We hesitate. We get stuck in the mind. We start putting everything on paper. It doesn't make sense. And all we're doing we don't do it. is just replaying that record of the past. And that record of the past does not include you living on a boat. Right. It required right. you to get over the other side of this. The sphere really was right. is what I'm feeling when you're describing it. I think you're right. Which now the whole Gulf Stream thing, and maybe you can share that story. The yes. Gulf Stream story is really I, making I, a lot more sense now to me. I've done a lot of things that I never, ever thought I would do. I never thought I would homeschool my kids, ever. I never thought I would do that. Never. It's not like it was something that I thought, ooh, I, I hope I do that someday. No. And I never, ever even thought. I wasn't even, you know... Uh, in my thought process anywhere that I would live on a boat because it's just, I didn't kind of, I never really grew up with that in my proximity, you know. So what was the name of that first boat? Because you've since moved on to another yes. boat. Yes, fir our first boat was called Cortado and we loved that boat. So we lived on it for, uh, for three winters, basically November to April. And where did you live on it? So, do we need to get the itineraries yeah. out? <laughs> so we 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 bought the boat in Jacksonville and we store it in the summer for Jack in Jacksonville. So we the first year we kind of stayed close to land because it was really a year, learning year for all of us. Tony was getting used to learning the boat. Um, the kids and I were getting used to living on the boat and figuring out what it could do. Um, and so we kind of just cruised. We went from Jacksonville all the way down through the intercoastal. We went all the way down past Miami to Key West and back up. And we probably went down again and back up. We spent a lot of time in the Keys. Um, we were mostly that first winter. We would travel by day and then pull into a dock at night and plug in and, you know, cook dinner or do laundry like, or whatever. It's like the baby steps. It's like with yeah. everything, you want to start your own business. Okay, what's the first logical step, right? And and then you just you keep building on that. And it's okay to 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 stay a little bit safe in that learning yeah. year when when the whole thing is just a big risk anyway, right? right? right. But there's there's right. safe. That's what I want to yeah. let people know. There is there is those. You can do it at your own pace. You can do it at your own pace. There's yes. No rule. Yes. Yeah. So we took a big risk, financial risk, right? Because we bought this boat and we still have a house and, and everything that comes with that and a mortgage and cars. And, and we tried something and we didn't know if it was going to work. We didn't know if homeschooling was going to work. We knew we could travel with the kids, but the boat and the home, that, that was just, we were just trying it. And we, so much, we told the school that the kids went to, we'll be back after Christmas. And then after Christmas, I called him and said, you know, we're going to, we'll be back in, I'm going to call you in March and we'll come back for the last couple months of school. And then in March, I said, we're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't say permanently. I just said, we're going to just do one more semester. So we'll call you next December. And then in December, that's when I was like, we're, we're not coming back. That's Versus it. making the decision, the hard line, that we're not coming back to school no, this year. No, definitely. It was always yeah. moving from where you were in that moment and what you, exactly. what you were learning about the experience you were having. Exactly. That's so important. I think people either want to do it or not do it. It's an and, it's a fine line, right? It is not an all or nothing thing. You can try, you can take a risk and try something and leave some doors open 
you know, if, if it doesn't work, I would not, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Homeschooling does not work for everyone. It's, it doesn't, you know. So explore and see if it works for you mm -hmm. and keep an open mind. Yeah. 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 So tell us how the whole homeschooling started. Like you never, this was never anything that you mm -mm. thought of. Mm -mm. So, I, I mean, how do you, how did you even begin? I have no idea. So you got a trapper keeper. <laughs> got some pencils. Day one. What the hell do we do? Yeah. So we in one of the school years when we were traveling with Sydney, we had like part of a school year, maybe six months, where we were the team was training. Tony's team was team was training in in Seal Beach, California, for half a school year. And so I thought, well, we're not going to put her in another school in America for six months. Like that's that just be socially really difficult for her, right? And what is she going to learn? So I found this company called the Calvert School out of Maryland that sells the curriculum in a box, and it, it typically they sell it to sell it to sailors or families that are sailing around the world. You pick up your box, has everything in it: pencils, paper, court, textbooks, everything, and you go. And so I tried that for that semester with Sydney and it worked okay. I, I wasn't really focused on it, but I didn't knew I didn't really need to be because I knew that she was doing her next whole school year in New Zealand. So we were going to just sort of let that unfold the way it was. And so, but I knew of it. So our first foray into homeschooling, I called up Calvert and said, Hey, I bought one of your boxes, you know, a bunch of years ago. Can I have third and fifth grade? And they're like, sure. So they sent third and fifth grade, and I looked at it and was like, all right, we can we can do this. Um, but it was very different with the two of them. I really applied myself. I was excited. I opened those boxes and was like, this is so cool. Like, we're going to study. Look at all these things we're going to study. Like, this is just amazing. And so we just did. And, it, you know, I have to really credit the kids because they were – uh, excited to learn and curious and creative and really good students. And they listened to me and they, they just really took it on. And so that empowered Tony and I to keep going, you know, that made our top of the pyramid stronger, which, you know, made the foundation of our, our whole family stronger. So it was, um, you know, I really, I really credit them for being, being there for it, being really present as, as kids. So did you continue to use the, the Calvert? No. So model? I used it the, the first, I bought it for the first two years. However, by the second year I was switching things out. I liked their history. I liked their math. I didn't really love their writing program or, you know, so I kind of, I, by that time I was able to feel around on the internet and, and join some homeschool groups and where I could get some, uh, not, not physically joined homeschool groups. I don't know anybody around here. I don't really have a group that we belong to, but on there's online groups. Um, and so, yeah, so we have really, now we don't use covered at all. We really get our math from one program and, you know, we, we're really totally eclectic. And then you do things like, the, you know, like for example, well, any of these 
tons of uh, locations that you've been, but I'm assuming you go and you create some curriculum around, I mean, these places that you're going in, in Europe are just, they're so steeped in history. So you're using the location where you're at as well to educate them. Right. Through their history. Exactly. Exactly. It's impossible to travel in Europe without studying geography, history, politics, um, religion, art. I mean, that that's everywhere you go. You are, are able to study your favorite all subject? of those things. And history, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have dragged the kids to a fair number of art museums yes. everywhere. But luckily, it makes for a nice uh, entry on their, their transcript as well. So, yes. yeah. I mean, the amount of art museums we went to just last year in, in Mallorca and in, in Spain was, was just fantastic. So are these... Curriculums are they? Do they equate to a, a year that someone is in an actual school? So ninth grade equals where they are at ninth grade with you. It, absolutely. However, I, I I I like to think that it's better. I mean that oh, we course. are doing a lot more, and you know there are certain um, there are certain guidelines. If you know, 180 hours of work, which is basically an hour a day of math, equals one credit, course credit of math. So I keep track of that pretty carefully. I keep track of days that we have school, days that we don't. We do 180 plus days. We did 189 days of school this year. And it, you know, I, I, I keep pretty impeccable records. And I think that's really important. And anybody who thinks that they can homeschool and wing it, um, you can a little bit to a degree when your kids are little, but once they hit eighth and ninth grade, that's it's a whole nother it's a whole nother deal. I'm adamant about no homework. Obviously, it, what Oliver always says isn't that just school after school? Like, what I don't understand homework. Like, <laughs> we're home and we just worked all day, so we're gonna keep working. And I know, yeah, they right? never made any sense. To, it doesn't make any sense. And to get a bunch of homework, and then you have no time to like hang or like rest or I, do the things that you love. Right, right. And I think, and, and be mindful. Somebody's telling you what to do in every moment of your day, and you, you, you have to understand these kids. If someone's telling them what to do every part of their school day, which is you know seven thirty in the morning to two thirty in the afternoon, or something like that. And then their parents pick them up and they're telling them what they do and then they have homework and then they have a coach for their, you know, whatever. It's, then, then they have to do their bedtime routine or whatever. You know, there's, there's not a t- lot of time for kids to think for themselves. And so in our home, and now high school does mean there has to be some homework because I can't fit it all in during the day. And there's a lot of work in high school. But prior to high school, I think kids need time. They need time to think. And that's where meditation comes in uh, for me and the kids. In particular, I found with sports with Oliver, and I told you, BJ, that we do even just he had a game yesterday and asked me if we could meditate in the car on the way to the game. So I, ha- I keep my eyes open <laughs> because I'm driving. But he, we do a whole sports meditation before his games, and he just, you know... Uh, it's been incredible. He he asks me, "Can we do it?" And we I, I walk him through, and he's. Uh, I'd love to show you sometime what we do, but it's pretty extraordinary. And um, I don't even know the words just sort of come to me that I say to him during these meditations. I don't even really know 
how I know what to you say. You don't need to know how they're, cause they're already inside you. You're it, just clearing the space for them to yeah. rise to the surface. That's it's all. incredible. I, it's a really incredible feeling. I wanted to talk to you about this because sometimes I say things that shock my, shock myself and he is, uh, yeah, I know right? all about that. Yeah. You say things and, and then perhaps even after you are so excited. Was, what do you want to say? No, I was going <laughs> to say that's, that's exactly what happens. I had a conversation with my brother and I don't remember what I said. And my, my dad was like, Oh, that really resonated with him. Like he was telling me, I'm like, I don't remember what I said, but somehow it connected with him. Is that where you're going with this? Cause I think that happens a lot where you, people will say like, Jess, what you said just resonated so well. And you're like, oh boy, yeah. I hope what I said it? the right thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's the difference. It's the difference between having an agenda mm-hmm. and presence. Because yeah. an agenda is all about the future, right? Like I, if you've ever, I mean, back in the day, well, I'll just put this on me. Like I would like rehearse an argument because mm-hmm. I was going to win that argument, yeah. right? There's, yeah. there's nothing but ego there. There's nothing but futuristic living there. There's nothing, there's no presence there at all. Right. And so when you, when you, uh, when you practice present moment awareness, because I'm sure you're not just, like you're probably taking a breath and letting, oh, yeah. letting the words come. Absolutely, and it, even though I'm- It's so fun leading- I promise you I'm paying attention, yeah. but <laughs> I feel it too, like the whole energy yeah. in the car just drops. Yeah, and that's and your that's your higher intelligence mm-hmm. speaking through you. It, those words are moving through you. Like BJ said, all of those words, all of that mastery is already within you. Mm-hmm. It's just that we get so covered up in the in the day to day, in yeah. the to do list, in the yeah. going through the motions that we forget that we are we are a part of this higher organism that created all of it, and that's mm-hmm. in us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in us. Yeah. So when did when did you start meditating? Um, I started meditating um, so about a year and a half ago, and I found that you know this is a lot that we take on that the travel, the logistics, the school. I just got chills. Like it it's it's so much planning, and in that planning, I have to allow for the uh, the chance and great probability that something's going to happen that's going to completely upend all of the planning and it's going to be even better than what I planned. Okay, that's stressful. <laughs> oh, 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 the trust. The trust is scarier the trust. than the fear. The, tr- exactly. the trust is 100% scarier yes, than the that fear. That is exactly This right. is the clarity I've been the, getting over the last few this days. This is exactly right. I was like, oh, trust is a byproduct of taking, of like, you know, living against the grain. Oh, tr- oh, that sounds like a great byproduct, right? I trust more. And then I realized like trust is so scary. Yeah. There, I also feel like I have this, um, and, and maybe this is ego driven, but I have to be perfect. I have to have perfect records because this is their, this is how they're going to get into college. If I mess this up, you know, be perf- be perfect. I've got to get the right courses. I need to make sure that we are, are, are doing this right. So it takes a lot of research. And then in order to actually do the work, I have to lose that perfection. I cannot be, we have, I have to be able to have flexibility, exactly. flow. And, and, and my, my, I cannot have a perfect house. I can't, I, everything cannot be. So I have to strive for that and then be able to let it all go in order for everything to actually happen as it should which is perfection 
know. Right? Like that's literally perfection. Everything happening well, as I it see. should yeah, yeah. is perfection. Exactly. exactly. And it has exactly. nothing to do with your house being clean. No. no. Right? Yeah. And you're going to show up for those kids. You're going to you're going to put that data together for them. They're going to yeah. be fine. It's all going to be that's green right. lights, but but like this is where meditation I think is so big especially with a life like yours, which is exciting and adventurous and we can all romanticize it all we want. But it's the it's like it's where the rubber meets the road. It like is. it's 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 hard. It's hard work and so worth it. It takes an incredible amount of planning, but we have to be able to let it all go at the same time. There's so much risk, but but what isn't it riskier to not do something like this? Like oh, that's yeah. That seems so much worse. It is. And, you know, Tony and I are both, we're both, uh, I want to say we're both planners. We're both really good at thinking about what we need. So we don't show up places and be like, who's got the thing? I don't have the charger. I don't, like we are, we've got it. We've got it down. So, and because of that, and I think it's a really good quality that the both of us have, we plan so well together that, that everything else can sort of unfold and we're just kind of prepared for anything. And what we're not prepared for, that's okay too. What you're describing is uh, detachment. Like you're not, you're not attached to, okay, you plan, right? This is why we have these amazing brains. We can plan, we can set goals. Like a lot of athletes listen to this. We set goals, right? We say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a five-month build into this race or into this trip. And we plan and we set ourselves up for success as much as our the faculties of our mind and brain can set us up for success. But the difference is, is that you kind of like, and you've done this a few times with your hands, and you've just kind of like put them out to the side really wide, like, go. okay, and then we just let it happen. Yeah. And that's the detachment. Yes. Because That's because right. when you're like, it's got to go this, now you're going to hit a bunch of red lights and the green lights are going to come with the opening your arms and, and keeping all channels open. Like that was our thing when we lived on the road every morning. We were, there was so much, there was so much um, fear and it was always Sorry. all channels open. Is that my dad's car? It's not? I think car alarms are so funny because nobody thinks anybody's getting their car stolen right no, now. No. So what are they all about? Talk about going through the motions. Why are we still putting security things in cars? Nobody, I've never seen a car alarm go off and anybody seemed to be, nobody's alarmed by that. No one is alarmed by that. That's, that's, a, I love that. I've been, There's cars out there. Hey, listen, I've been wanting to talk about the whole car alarm thing <laughs> for a while. Yes, because I've been talking to you about it. So I'm really grateful for that car alarm. Um, yeah, so it, planning really well and being efficient and organized and then detaching and saying, okay, now we planned. Let's let the adventure begin. That's, I think that's Let's right. Let's let the adventure begin. Yeah. And yeah. that is the opposite of a life of going through the motions. The opposite. So how is meditation, how is it, because you, you're, you're still, I mean, it's still fresh, like a year and a half or so. How is it, how has it shifted you? So Or what I, have you, I should say, what have you lost from meditation? Like what has fallen away? I started having some weird anxieties that, I can only describe as, um, oh my God, this is going to sound so weird, but I would start itching my arms. You would start talking about something and I would just 
be sitting here. I would, I would itch my arms. I, I had this itchy arm thing. And I went to my doctor. I went to my dermatologist. I'm like, I think there's something wrong because I itch my arms all the time. I'm like, when exactly do you itch your arms? Well, when people are talking about politics, I itch my arms. <laughs> when I don't, when, when I need Tony to tell me what the schedule is and we're supposed to be leaving in a week and he hasn't told me the schedule, I started itching my arms. Like, I started realizing that I was itching my arm. I was, anyway, I had doctor, dermatologist, all these people say, like, gosh, there's nothing wrong. Like, you don't have anything. And I told you how I started meditating because I thought Sydney needed to start meditating. So I suggested that she join your meditation group to help her. And she decided that I needed to meditate. And so she said, well, I'll join if you join because she thought it would help me. So we were like, what is that? The, 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 what is that play? And I'm just totally blanking where the girl cuts off her hair to buy the thing for the guy. And he, okay, never mind. I don't know. You know that it's like an incredible story. It's like this, this classic story of, of trying to help the other person. And then you end up helping anyway, helping, helping yourself. yourself. Mm -hmm. So I, started meditating with Sydney and within two weeks of meditating I didn't itch so my did arms anymore. So did you start when you joined M21 Revolution? Mm -hmm. Oh that's so amazing. Yeah. I never meditated before. I didn't know how. I tried before and I just didn't know how. I remember when the two of you showed up I was like BJ! Yay! <laughs> Lynn and Sydney! Yes. <laughs> and she yeah. Sydney needed to make a life change. She was living in New York and didn't know how to do it and just felt like she was down the wrong path and you know I was happily on our path, but I definitely had anxiety. And well, and I think we just glossed over a really profound thing that you said. What happened within two weeks of meditating? I stopped itching my arms. And like I didn't do it anymore. And how long had you been doing that? A year and a half. Wow. And doctor's visits and waiting rooms. And, and that would have... That would have then been your chest and your legs and your, like, it, it would have expanded. It would have probably, right, yeah. Because yeah. it was being caused by, I mean, the skin is, the skin is our largest organ. Yeah. And it's a great way to, um, for things to get out of the body. Mm. Everything in the body is energy, including our, our organs. They're just a dense organization of energy. And so you had this, this energy that was like, had to get out. And so it was manifesting through this, this pattern of itching yeah. and you just needed a couple, couple, <laughs> couple weeks of well, committing to it, sitting. That's, it, a, that's a really remarkable story. I, I didn't know I that. I mean, that's just a weird, like kind of physical manifestation of, I didn't know I needed to meditate. I didn't, it, it didn't realize how much it would help me with the kids, how much it helped just relax me. And uh, I don't, I, I feel like a very different person. I also know that if I'm ever in a situation and I've taught this to the kids as well, where I don't know how I feel like I don't know how to deal with something that that's the, the go, our go-to thing. And I can in any time and moment, at any point of the day, concentrate on my breathing, calm myself down, and see a picture more clearly. And to have, to be able to teach my kids that as a life skill is, I mean, I, we can talk about curriculum all day long, but that, 
is incredible. That's not looking outside for anything, any assistance. It's just going in, within. So again, it's already in Oliver and Sophie and Sydney. Like it's already inside of you and Tony. Like it's inside. And it's just allowing the space for that to, and come out. And then have faith and trust, which you're, the skills that you are building with them, possibly through the curriculum and the, ch- and the challenges of right. visiting um, foreign countries, building that confidence. And now, now the big picture is coming together. Like really all they need is themselves. Mm. Yeah. That's all. They, that's just faith and belief right. in themselves and have confidence that if they don't know the answer, they can go within, right. not look out. Right. We want that answer that's somewhere or that in a validation book. or that you know acceptance right that it's okay this is the choice uh just make sure okay great now i can move forward when back to your point of just letting the kids have their experience maybe fail a bit but come and rise up from that right. to have that confidence yeah that's amazing yeah so they both do they both meditate no. so oliver oliver is um he meditates before his baseball games especially anyone that he's anxious about and there'll be some where he's just like i'm good i don't need to do that i'm like okay i don't force it at all sophia i have heard her recommend it to her friends i have physically seen her pull up headspace on her phone and show it to her friend who is who has uh, social anxiety and anxiety with school um, that's been crippling for her, and come home and she'll say, "Mom, I got, I bought the, I got, didn't buy it, I put, got this up on my friend's phone so that, she, and she's starting to use it." Sophia, she hasn't really jumped in herself. Well, she she might be jumping in when you're not looking. I wonder about that. Yeah, I mean, if she's. She's passionate about this. She's giving it to her friends. Like, I'd, I, I'd be surprised I if bought she the fam- wasn't. She right. She probably just didn't want me to know. She doesn't <laughs> want you to know. I wouldn't want my mother to know. <laughs> I'm secretly meditating. Yeah. <laughs> Our teacher used to meditate in his closet because he was. He was going to Catholic school and he didn't want his parent. He didn't want to like get in trouble. He didn't want his parents to know, but they knew. But he was always getting in trouble in church because after church, he'd be like, I got a question. Because he was like, there's things that aren't adding up here. Yeah. And so he started meditating um, in his closet. So she might she might be meditating. Awesome. You'd be surprised. In, in the least, it's in her awareness and she's spreading the message. And that's, a, oh, that's so beautiful, Lynn. Oh, my God. I'm so grateful. Hey, I think this is a good time to talk about the Gulf Stream crossing. Okay. And then we'll round it back out. <laughs> All right. Because that you're, you're... This was a really cool experience. Yeah. You, you reached out on M21 about you were going to be crossing the Gulf Stream. And how do I do this without being in a total panic? I, I realized... So we've crossed the Gulf Stream as a family three times. Once was in our 40-foot boat which was, um, I was really brave and excited to do it. And about 10 minutes after we got going, you know, still in full sight of Fort Lauderdale, I was in a panic and realized this is a really bad idea. And we had about five hours to go and a lot of ocean to cross. And so the first, our first crossing and, and by all accounts and, and Tony's, you know, he's an experienced sailor and, you know, I trust him wholeheartedly with 
with us and with myself, with our kids on the water. <laughs> it was, I'm sure if there was a video, like there were probably just little, <laughs> it was probably just little tiny. It was like that, that hill that used to sled when you were little and you go suicide back and you're like, hill. what? <laughs> suicide hill. We, yeah, it was like, was like suicide hill, up, down, up, down. There was gale force wind. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't that bad, but I, I really struggled with that crossing. So I, we, I knew we wouldn't do it again in that boat. I, I flew home after that trip to the Bahamas. We bought our 53-foot boat. Our boat now is called Timbalero. And we, um, we crossed over in December, and that's when I was really having a panic about it. And I had been meditating for now a full year at that point. Um, but I was really feeling, you know, anxious about it. And I... Um, you gave me the greatest advice. And I can't even tell you how many times I invoked that. And you said, do you remember what you said? Do. You do. Yeah, but you say it. Okay. So you said, when you're in that Gulfstream, be one with the water. Like imagine the motion of it. Like you're a mermaid. Like you are one with that. And it is such a powerful force of nature. And be one with that force of nature. Because you are not separate from it. Because you're not separate from it, right. Be the Gulf Stream. Yeah. Because you are the Gulf Stream. Yeah. You are. That was life-changing. I tell you, and I had, um, and this is why this is so important. So I had my headspace all queued up, and I was like... <laughs> Uh, ready, you know, my earphones in and I'm like going to meditate the whole way across. Cause I've done that on planes where if I'm feeling a little anxious on a flight, I just plug in and meditate the whole flight and you're all of a sudden you're there and it's not a big deal. Well, the, once I got out of sight, I didn't factor in that I was going to need like a phone signal. <laughs> so I had no, all of a sudden my headspace started out and then just went dead. And I thought, Oh shit. Now I've got to do this on my own, which is such a big lesson. I had to do it on my own. So you were still kind of avoiding it by doing, you were not really becoming the Gulf Stream when you were doing the headspace. Yep, 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 I know. And so I thought, okay, I am going to be, I'm going to be one. I am, I am, I'm going to, I am one with the Gulf Stream. And it just was a process of just repeating your words over and over. And it was great. And it was so great that I couldn't, I was totally fine with doing, I was about to say I couldn't wait to go back across. That's not true. Cause it is not like, yeah. <laughs> not there yet. Yeah. It's still like, yeah. you know, 8,000 feet deep water. Like I just can't, I, I have a hard, you know, that's, we don't have deep water like that in Indiana. I think I was like, <laughs> Not the local reservoir. No, no. The lakes just don't anyway, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Um, but the, 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 our third crossing was just a piece of cake and it was beautiful and the kid, you know, and I feel like, um, kids were fine and it's something we can do now. It's something I can do now. Up I've level got it. complete. Yes. Up level complete. That's, that's me. And yeah. that's, that is, you are living proof, you know, for some people might be being fearful of heights or, you know, I don't know, being fearful of, um, you know, riding their bike on the road, whatever it is, you can get to the other side of it. You can get to the other side of it. And at the base of fear, at the absolute base of fear, is the, is the, there's always one question. Are we separate or are we connected? Are we one? And if we're separate, that's a really scary place 
Now the Gulf Stream is your enemy. Now it's super scary. Now it's going to swallow up your whole family. But if we're one and we're connected and the essence that created that Gulf Stream is the essence that is moving the blood through our veins right now, how, how could that ever be scary? You're just connecting with yourself. That is exactly what happened. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. I've been, I uh, wanted to get the details. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's shoot back to, because you're well into the homeschooling now. Mm. Uh, you've been doing this since 2014 to 2019. You just fil- finished up your school year. Mm. Have, you had, um, have you had pushback along the way? Um, so every once in a while I get some odd comment from someone. And it's usually um, just not very well informed, you know. I think there are there are some sort of there's a maybe an which I think is very outdated and uneducated sort of stigma to go with homeschooling, thinking that you know we're a certain type of family or we're overtly re- religious or that you know our kids don't go outside, and I. Uh, people will ask me, you know, how did the kid, you know, how are they socialized or whatever? And I just like the hair goes on up on the back of my neck. It just like I can't. I just want to sit there and say, who, who, why? You would never ask that question of someone whose kid goes to school up the road, like. And yet, how natural is it for, you know, twenty-five eight-year-olds to be in a single room together for eight hours a day. Like, how natural is that? You know? I, that, those type of questions I really bristle at because I, I, I have a harder time controlling my kids' social activities and getting them everywhere and teaching them than trying to get them to leave the house. You know, as evidence, we don't haven't heard from them, have we? <laughs> You're right. like, where are they? Right. <laughs> is anybody else in this house... <laughs> But I can say, you know, a response to that is, have you met my kids? Have you met my kids? I often say that. When I stayed with you, when I stayed here, I think you were here for a brief time when I came back. We overlapped for a trip, and you were so generous to open your home to me. And to just have that one-on-one experience with your kids, I, I think I've told everyone I've interacted with just, like, how amazing the conversations and engaging these children were and they were not, and they were homeschooled. And I think I got a few, um, you know, eyebrow raises of like, Oh, that's interesting. And they were just so eye contact. Like that was the one of the, I think I've shared this with you. Like eye contact was amazing. Like just, they, they dialed that in and they were so personable. They were, they were able to hold a conversation. They weren't on their phones and trying to, and not that any of that is bad. Um, my point here is that, the homeschooling opportunity and the travel and everything together that you've done with them just really came clear to me in that moment. And Mm. I think from that moment, I was like, Jess, we, when we come back, we need to have Lynn on the podcast because these kids are just amazing. I do sort of wish they were here. You could ask them some questions because they are (laughs) kind of fun to talk to. (laughs) So, um, you know, you guys are also I, I love this, um, like citizens of the world. Right? Yeah. You believe yourselves to be citizens of the world. And so yeah. you give back and you do community service along the way. And tell yep. us a little bit about that. We do. We make sure that, well, when we're on the boat, 
getting plastic out of the water is really important to us. We have special nets on the boat that we use to do that. Anytime we see anything in the water that's not supposed to be there, we feel like it's our kind of duty um, and to give back to the the ocean, which is so generous and, and protective and, and loving to us that it's our job to take care of it in that way. We've been to a couple of different turtle hospitals so that we could understand how to look for turtles that are injured. In our first year plus on the boat, we would be, you know, kind of cruising along and we pass a turtle and we're like, hey, turtle, (laughs) not knowing that there's things to watch for if they, you know, if they can't dive down, it means they have uh, injured or some air in their shell. And so you need to stop and actually call someone and report it, the location of that turtle, and someone will come out and find it. Um, Yeah, turtle, I mean, turtles get hit by propellers and they um, can have diseases and things that, that cause issues where they are not healthy. And so now we know to spot when we see a turtle, we stay close until we're like, yep, he's doing fine. And then we're off. But, you know, we feel like that's an important thing that, that we can do. Um, and in I, I told you earlier that we heard Jane Goodall speak. And um, we've been, been big fans of Jane Goodall and the work that she does. And she says that if you can only do one thing, do that one thing. You know, if if you can do something to help, then do a thing. And so I feel strongly that those are are things that are really important to us. We have, um, so we call our little uh, uh, community service on the boat C-Team. So if anyone hollers out like C-Team and then we have to like, everybody comes out to the, what stops whatever they're doing and we kind of look and see what it is that C-Team is being called called upon to to help and then when we're here in Newport we uh volunteer at the food pantry down at the Martin Luther King Center and we've been doing that for this is our sixth year doing that with the kid the kids come along and we you know do whatever it is that they need us to do down there and we love it down there and they're they're such a great program so we kind of have a land-based community service and a sea-based community service so depending on where we are the kids know that we there is something that we have to do to give back and what's the vision? Mm. The vision. What's the forward? vision that you're going to totally detach from and allow to have happen? What's the vision for the future? Aye, aye, aye. That is so difficult and a really good question because our entire uh, our our relationship together, our lives together with Tony and I have been to really embrace adventure and to really allow things to come into our life that we didn't plan, that we were not expecting. And I hope that we just continue to do that because we can't control everything. You know, we can't be, we can't plan and control everything, but we can certainly put ourselves in the position so that when things come up, we can say yes to those things and not no to those things. And how do people put themselves in the position where beautiful things can come into their lives? I think I think that comes from within. I think it comes from a place of, 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 of giving to others and not looking, what can I get out of this life? But what can I give to this life? Because things just happen when you're not looking out just for yourself. You know, those trips, like I was talking about earlier, they didn't happen because we planned them. It sort of happened because we allowed for them to happen. We kind of allowed space for them to happen. 
and then they did. You know, I think always giving is is the key, giving and, and being available and open. And there's a, I think it's a, a spiritual kind of overview of, of bringing this awareness to not what's in it for me, but how can I serve? Yes. And when you make that mindset switch, everything that you come across, every interaction and conversation and engagement with the turtles and mm-hmm. the people you meet at the docks when you, when you, when you dock the boat, like, how can I serve? And not worrying about how am I going to, what am I going to take from this? Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that's a good place to end it. Absolutely. How can people follow you? You have an amazing blog. Mm. Share it with the world. Well, it's, uh, it is gotimbalero.com is our blog that I write. And then my little book of poetry, We Dream of Oysters, is um, available on Amazon. And I'm working on a second poetry book. So I am really excited about that. And the first book I have to just quickly mention is Poetry from the Middle of the Night. Because before I started meditating, I couldn't sleep at night because I'd wake up being anxious. And so I channeled that being anxious into this art form, which I loved. So my second book, none none of which was written in the middle of the night because now I sleep through the night soundly. Thank you very much. Oh, (laughs) you're doing all the work. And you just put up a blog post today about um, where people can go and they can reference Mm. uh, how to get started. How to get started. Yeah. Right. And you, you it, have a little like, um, uh, if you're it, considering homeschooling. If you're right. And, and it's sort of, uh, if you're considering homeschooling, a couple of things to think about and then things I don't do. And I think that's kind of interesting as well. But seriously, uh, we're open for if, if, if anyone's interesting in, in, interested in giving it a shot, please reach out because Tony and I would love to, to be a resource. If we can. Oh, amazing. That's mm-hmm. it. Lynn, thank you so much. Ah, this is so good. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep trusting. Keep meditating. You too. I mean, yeah. I, you guys are amazing. And to have you in my life, I, the ways that you have impacted our family, you, I couldn't even, you know, without you coming here today, I haven't really been able to tell you those stories, but they're numerous. Thank you. Bottom of my heart. 